Chapter Eleven, Book One of Rookwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Paul Curran. Rookwood by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book One, Chapter Eleven. Lady Rookwood. Fran de Med. Your unhappy husband is dead. Vitcor. Oh, he's a happy husband. Now he owes nature nothing. Mon. And look upon this creature as his wife. She comes not like a widow. She comes armed with scorn and impudence. Is this a mourning habit? The White Devil. The progress of our narrative demands our presence in another apartment of the hall, a large, lonesome chamber, situated in the eastern wing of the house, already described as the most ancient part of the building, the sombre appearance of which was greatly increased by the dingy, discoloured tapestry that clothed its walls, the record of the patience and industry of a certain Dame Dorothy Rookwood, who flourished some centuries ago, and whose skilful needle had illustrated the slaughter of the innocents with the severity of gusto and sanguinary minuteness of detail truly surprising in a lady so amiable as she was represented to have been grim-visaged herod glared from the ghostly woof with his shadowy legions executing their murderous purposes grouped like a troop of sabbath dancing witches around him mysterious twilight admitted through the deep dark mullioned windows revealed the antique furniture of the room which still boasted a sort of mildewed splendour more imposing perhaps than its original gaudy magnificence and showed the lofty hangings and tall hearse-like canopy of a bedstead once a couch of state but now destined for the repose of lady rookwood the stiff crimson hangings were embroidered in gold with the arms and cipher of Elizabeth, from whom the apartment, having once been occupied by that sovereign, obtained the name of the Queen's Room. The sole tenant of this chamber was a female, in whose countenance, if time and strong emotion had written strange defeatures, they had not obliterated its striking beauty and classic grandeur of expression. It was a face majestical and severe. Pride was stamped in all its lines, and though each passion was by turns developed, it was evident that all was subordinate to the sin by which the angels fell. The contour of her face was formed in the purest Grecian mould, and might have been a model for Medea. So well did the gloomy grandeur of the brow, the severe chiselling of the lip, the rounded beauty of the throat, and the faultless symmetry of her full form, accord with the beau ideal of antique perfection shaded by smooth folds of raven hair which still maintained its jetty dye her lofty forehead would have been displayed to the greatest advantage had it not been at this moment knit and deformed by excess of passion if that passion can be said to deform which only calls forth strong and vehement expression her figure which wanted only height to give it dignity was arrayed in the garb of widowhood 
and if she exhibited none of the desolation of heart which such a bereavement might have been expected to awaken, she was evidently a prey to feelings scarcely less harrowing. At the particular time of which we speak, Lady Rookwood, as she it was, was occupied in the investigation of the contents of an escritoire. Examining the papers which it contained with great deliberation, she threw each aside as soon as she had satisfied herself of its purport, until she arrived at a little package, carefully tied up with black ribbon and sealed. This Lady Rookwood hastily broke open, and drew forth a small miniature. It was that of a female, young and beautiful, rudely yet faithfully executed. Faithfully, we say, for there was an air of sweetness and simplicity, and in short, a look of reality and nature about the picture. It is seldom, indeed, that we mistake a likeness, even if we are unacquainted with the original, that attested the artist's fidelity. The face was as radiant with smiles as a bright day with sunbeams. The portrait was set in gold, and behind it was looped a lock of the darkest and finest hair. Underneath the miniature was written, in Sir Piers' hand, the words, Lady Rookwood. A slip of folded paper was also attached to it. Lady Rookwood scornfully scrutinised the features for a few moments, and then unfolded the paper, at the sight of which she started and turned pale. "'Thank God!' she cried. "'This is in my possession. While I hold this, we are safe. Were it not better to destroy this evidence at once?' "'No, no, not now. It shall not part from me. I will abide Ranulph's return.' This document will give me a power over him such as I could never otherwise obtain. Placing the marriage certificate, for such it was, within her breast, and laying the miniature upon the table, she next proceeded deliberately to arrange the disordered contents of the box. All outward traces of emotion had, ere this, become so subdued in Lady Rookwood, that, although she had only a few moments previously exhibited the extremity of passionate indignation, she now, apparently without effort, resumed entire composure, and might have been supposed to be engaged in a matter of little interest to herself. It was a dread calm, which they who knew her would have trembled to behold. "'From these letters I gather,' exclaimed she, "'that their wretched offspring knows not of his fortune. "'So far, well. "'There is no channel whence he can derive information,' and my first care shall be to prevent his obtaining any clue to the secret of his birth. I am directed to provide for him. Ah, I will provide. A grave. There I will bury him and his secret. My son's security and my own wrong demand it. I must choose surer hands. The work must not be half done as heretofore. And now, I bethink me, he is in the neighbourhood, connected with a gang of poachers, "'Tis as I could wish it.' "'At this moment, a knock at the chamber door broke upon her meditations. "'Agnes, is it you?' demanded Lady Rookwood. "'Thus summoned, the old attendant entered the room. "'Why are my orders disobeyed?' asked the lady, in a severe tone of voice. "'Did I not say, when you delivered me this package from Mr. Coates, "'which he himself wished to present, that I would not be disturbed?' "'You did, my lady, but speak out,' said Lady Rookwood, somewhat more mildly, perceiving from Agnes's manner that she had something of importance to communicate, 
"'What is it brings you hither?' "'I'm sorry,' returned Agnes, "'to disturb your ladyship, but—but—but what?' interrupted Lady Rookwood impatiently. "'I could not help it, my lady. He would have me come. He said he was resolved to see your ladyship whether you would or not. Would see me? Ha! Huh? Is it so? I guess his errand, and its object. He has some suspicion. No, that cannot be. He would not dare to tamper with these seals. Agnes, I will not see him.' "'But he swears, my lady, that he will not leave the house without seeing you.' He would have forced his way into your presence if I had not consented to announce him. Insolent! exclaimed Lady Rookwood, with a glance of indignation. Force his way? I promise you he shall not display an equal anxiety to repeat the visit. Tell Mr. Coates I will see him. Mr. Coates, mercy on us, my lady. It's not he. He'd never have intruded upon you unasked. No such thing. He knows this place too well. No, no, it's not Mr. Coates. If not he... "'Who is it?' "'Luke Bradley. "'Your ladyship knows whom I mean.' "'He here? "'Now?' "'Yes, my lady. "'And looking so fierce and strange, "'I was quite frightened to see him. "'He looked so like his... "'His... "'His father, you would say. "'Speak out.' "'No, my lady. "'His grandfather, old Sir Reginald, "'he's the very image of him.' "'But had not your ladyship better ring the alarm-bell, "'and when he comes in, I'll run and fetch the servants. "'He's dangerous, I'm sure. "'I have no fears of him. "'He will see me, you say.' "'Aye, will!' exclaimed Luke, as he threw open the door, "'and shut it forcibly after him, striding towards Lady Rookwood. "'Nor abide longer delay.' "'It was an instant or two ere Lady Rookwood, "'thus taken by surprise, could command speech.' She fixed her eyes with a look of keen and angry inquiry upon the bold intruder, who, nothing daunted, confronted her glances with a gaze as stern and steadfast as her own. "'Who are you, and what seek you?' exclaimed Lady Rookwood, after a brief pause, and, in spite of herself, her voice sounded tremulously. "'What would you have that you venture to appear before me at this season, and in this fashion?' "'I might have chosen a fitter opportunity,' returned Luke, "'were it needed. "'My business will not brook delay. "'You must be pleased to overlook this intrusion on your privacy "'at a season of sorrow like the present. "'As to the fashion of my visit, "'you must be content to excuse it. "'I cannot help myself. "'I may amend hereafter. "'Who I am, you are able, no doubt, to divine. "'What I seek, you shall hear, "'when this old woman has left the room.' "'unless you would have a witness to a declaration "'that concerns you as nearly as myself.' "'An indefinite feeling of apprehension had, "'from the first instant of Luke's entrance "'crossed Lady Rookwood's mind. "'She, however, answered with some calmness, "'What you can have to say is of small moment to me, "'nor does it signify who may hear it. "'It shall not, however, be said "'that Lady Rookwood feared to be alone.' even though she endangered her life. "'I am no assassin,' replied Luke, "'nor have sought the destruction of my deadliest foe, "'though twere but retributive justice to have done so.' Lady Rookwood started. "'Nay, you need not fear me,' replied Luke. "'My revenge will be otherwise accomplished.' "'Go,' said Lady Rookwood to Agnes. "'Yet stay without in the antechamber.' "'My lady,' 
said Agnes, scarcely able to articulate. "'Shall I—' "'Hear me, Lady Rookwood,' interrupted Luke. "'I repeat, I intend you no injury. My object here is solely to obtain a private conference. You could have no reason for denying me this request. I will not abuse your patience. Mine is no idle mission. Say you refuse me, and I will at once depart. I will find other means of communicating with you, less direct, and therefore less desirable. Make your election, but we must be alone, undisturbed. Summon your household. Let them lay hands upon me, and I will proclaim aloud what you would gladly hide, even from yourself. Leave us, Agnes, said Lady Rookwood. I have no fear of this man. I can deal with him myself, should I see occasion. Agnes, said Luke, in a stern, deep whisper, arresting the ancient handmaiden as he passed him. Stir not from the door till I come forth. Have you forgotten your former mistress, my mother? Have you forgotten Barbara Lovell and that night? In heaven's name, hush, replied Agnes with a shudder. Let that be fresh in your memory. Move not a footstep, whatever you may hear, added he, in the same tone as before. I will not, I will not. And Agnes departed. Luke felt some wavering in his resolution when he found himself alone with the lady, whose calm, collected, yet haughty demeanour, as she resumed her seat, prepared for his communication, could not fail to inspire him with a certain degree of awe. Not unconscious of her advantage, nor slow to profit by it, Lady Rookwood remained perfectly silent, with her eyes steadily fixed upon his face, while his embarrassment momentarily increased, summoning, at length, courage sufficient to address her, and ashamed of his want of nerve, he thus broke forth. When I entered the room, you asked my name and object. As to the first, I answer to the same designation as your ladyship. I have long borne my mother's name. I now claim my father's. My object is the restitution of my rights. So, it is as I suspected, thought Lady Rookwood, involuntarily casting her large eyes down. Do I hear you rightly? exclaimed she aloud. Your name is... Sir Luke Rookwood, as my father's elder-born, by right of his right to that title. If a glance could have slain him, Luke had fallen lifeless at the lady's feet. With a smile of ineffable disdain, she replied, I know not why I hesitate to resent this indignity, even for an instant, but I would see how far your audacity will carry you. The name you bear is Bradley. "'In ignorance I have done so,' replied Luke. "'I am the son of her whose maiden name was Bradley. "'She was—' "'Tis false. I will not hear it. "'She was not,' cried Lady Rookwood, "'her vehemence getting the master of her prudence. "'Your ladyship anticipates my meaning,' returned Luke. "'Susan Bradley was the first wife of Sir Piers Rookwood. "'His minion! His mistress, if you will, not else. "'Is it new to you that a village wench—' who lends herself to shame, should be beguiled by such shallow pretenses, that she was so duped, I doubt not. But it is too late now to complain, and I will counsel you not to repeat your idle boast. It will serve no other purpose, trust me, than to blazon forth your own, 
your mother's dishonour. Lady Rookwood, sternly answered Luke, my mother's fame is as free from dishonour as your own. I repeat, she was the first wife of Sir Piers, and that I, her child, am first in the inheritance. Nay, sole heir to the estates and title of Rookwood, to the exclusion of your son. Ponder upon that intelligence. Men say they fear you, as a thing of ill. I fear you not. There have been days when the Rookwoods held their dames in subjection. Discern you not of that in me? Once or twice during this speech, Lady Rookwood's glances had wandered towards the bell-cord, as if about to summon aid. But the intention was abandoned almost as soon as formed, probably from apprehension of the consequences of any such attempt. She was not without alarm as to the result of the interview, and was considering how she could bring it to a termination without endangering herself, and, if possible, secure the person of Luke, when the latter, turning sharply round upon her, and drawing a pistol, exclaimed, "'Follow me!' "'Whither?' asked she, in alarm. "'To the chamber of death.' "'Why there? What would you do, villain? I will not trust my life with you. I will not follow you.' Hesitate not, as you value your life. Do aught to alarm the house, and I fire. Your safety depends upon yourself. I would see my father's body ere it be laid in the grave. I will not leave you here. Go, said Lady Rookwood. If that be all, I pledge myself you shall not be interrupted. I will not take your pledge. Your presence shall be my surety. By my mother's unavenged memory, if you play me false... Though all your satellites stand around you, you die upon the spot. Obey me, and you are safe. Our way leads to the room by the private staircase. We shall pass unobserved. You see, I know the road. The room, by your own command, is vacant, save the dead. We shall, therefore, be alone. This done, I depart. You will then be free to act. Disobey me, and your blood will be upon your own head. Lead on said Lady Rookwood, pressing towards the antechamber. The door I mean is there, pointing to another part of the room. That panel. Ha! How know you that? No matter. Follow. Luke touched a spring, and the panel, flying open, disclosed a dim recess into which he entered, and, seizing Lady Rookwood's hand, dragged her after him. End of chapter 11, book 1